it's time for rolling dice and taking names. In this episode, the flying squirrels are released from their cages. The guys look at the world of tanks and deep state, plus a deep dive on lost ruins of Arnak, Tekanu, and Tawantan Suyu. Whew, that made my tongue numb. Welcome back to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 213, Comfortably Numb. My name is Marty. I'm Tony. Are you a big Pink Floyd fan, Tony? Yes, I am. I mean, some of their stuff is uh, out there. And we have talked about on previous shows where one of our favorite shows, WKRP, which, by the way, <laughs> we're in November. That means it's going to be turkey season for WKRP. As God is my witness. I thought turkeys could fly. Best sitcom ever recorded. That show. That one show alone. Uh, but does it stand up in test of time? You know, I need to go watch it again because I will agree. If I was to go through, I would love to do this sometime where I take out my, my favorite TV episodes of all time. I would put that in there, but I would am curious to see if it does stand the test of time. It's just so iconic. You know, I actually have a t-shirt. That has the, mm-hmm, uh, the Cincinnati Turkey Day drop or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I know what you're referring to, Pink Floyd to WKRP, because there's an episode where he's listening to, uh, Dr. Johnny Fever's listening to an album called Animals. Mm-hmm. And it's the <laughs> it's, it's the track with the dogs on it. Arthur Carlson, who's an, who has to bring the uh, radio show up to the 80s or 70s. 70s that, yeah, because um, it was a news radio. It was a news show. Yeah, and it was, and he walks in there, <laughs> and here's these dogs. Oh, my, I mean, that just dates us. Well, what doesn't date us now? <laughs> was that the same scene where it's like, don't touch that? <laughs> where he's looking I, at it go around and around. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, do, do, do I hear dogs on there? <laughs> I do. So, yes, Comfortably Numb as Pink Floyd. It, it actually is going to be a... Let's see, something that goes through the show called oh. Something Occurred to Me. And we're, we're bringing back a segment called The Flying Squirrels, and it'll be part of my Flying Squirrels segment, actually. One more thing going back to WKRP. What stinks is we'll never be able to see it the way it originally was because of the copyright on the music. I think they fixed that on most of it, though. Are you in sure? Recent because release. there's no way I'd watch this without the original uh, soundtracks from the, the bands at the time. I mean, that scene wouldn't even make sense. I, I agree. It, it absolutely wouldn't. But I think we've had our listeners who, because we've always, over the eight years, you and I have commented on this show constantly. And I think someone has pointed out that they were going to release the ones where they could get the copyright. And one of them I think they couldn't was uh, the uh, assistant or whoever, the, the receptionist. Um, uh, Lonnie Anderson, which was uh, Jennifer. Jennifer. Uh, her doorbell played, I think it was Sinatra's Fly Me to the Moon. Oh, you're right. You're right. And they couldn't get I, that one. Okay. They couldn't get, I, I could be completely wrong. And this does not qualify for $5 <laughs> because we watched this back in the heyday and I haven't seen it since other than on me TV. Um, and even me TV doesn't even play it with the song. It's so funny. We had a gaming uh, day yesterday with Bert and he said, you need to remind people what the $5 means. I went, do we Bert? I mean, if you didn't listen to that no. one, episode. so I will say for those who want, every time we mention the $5, we said this thing, if we ever say something that's factually incorrect and don't correct ourselves, catch us on it and we'll give you a $5 gift card to Miniature Market. And we've done it twice so far. 
So we know at least two people listen to the show. At least two, yes. Really listen, it's not background noise. Right, exactly. So, And both of them were legit. One of them, they said, it's kind of ticky-tacky. I went, nope, that's not ticky-tacky, it's, it's legit. Uh, speaking of uh, factually in- incorrect, Tony, a couple weeks ago, I got to be on uh, Bram Beard Gaming, which is a Twitch channel, which has host Richard Bramblett and TJ Firebird Terry. And they've been, de- been doing a... Uh, basically a game show called Listacuffs. And what they've been doing is they've been taking a lot of content creators and putting them head to head in this little game show type format. It's kind of a, a single single elimination sort of thing where you go in there and they ask you questions almost like um, Family Feud. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, if you get one uh, question wrong, you get a strike. Whoever gets the most questions right in that round uh, wins the round and you play the best three out of five, whoever wins three out of five. So I went up against Kevin Delp. Uh, from Tantrum from, from House. From Tantrum House. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I came into this thing, and right off the bat, Tony, I went down 0-2. You were messed up at the beginning. There's Against Delp? Oh, please. I, I, yeah, my money was not on you, man. No, it, Sorry. Except for, wait a minute, did you watch it? I watched the first one where they asked you to name the top 10 races, and then I started reading our Discord channel, and uh, I saw where it said, Marty's going to be mad at you. Okay, perfect, perfect. So you didn't see the question I'm getting ready to ask you. So here's the thing. I started making a comeback. I went down 0-2, and one of the questions was, name a Stefan Feld game that's in the the, Mm. the top of the BGG. And so I thought, well, Kevin's going to get me here. Well, come to find out, Kevin is not a Stefan Feld fan. He couldn't even name one. So I got that question. And then the next mm-hmm. question came out, and I won that one. So here we are, Tony. We're tied two to two. two to Here's two. the final question. And when they asked this question, my stomach just sunk. Here it is. You're going to be so ashamed of me because this is what I lost the entire game on. I would have moved on to the semifinals if I would have got won this question. Here it is. Name the 12 Eastern most cities on a standard U.S. ticket to ride game board. Tony, I only got two, two. And I'm sitting there saying the whole time, Tony's going to be so ticked. If Tony was here, he would just start rambling these things off. So, sir, I ask you, how many of these 12 can you get? Because you play a lot of Ticket to Ride. Again, I'll ask it again. The 12 easternmost cities on a standard U.S. game board. And to be honest with you, I cannot recall because of the tickets and and just, it's the volume of of games. So I, I would not hold this against you for doing this. I mean, there's going to be Miami. One. And, um, there's going to be, um, I think, uh, Washington, D.C.'s on there. Two. I believe New York's on there. Three. Boston. Four. You already got more than me. Um, and then if I, as I go up the coast, I'm trying to think if there was any in Rhode Island, and I don't see them um, as I go down. I know Raleigh's on there. Five. Um, so let's, as we move through, uh, I mean, I know Atlanta's in there, but it's not the most Eastern. You got it. Yeah. Um, and then as I go up, then you, I'm going to discard Tennessee and the ones in the Midwest. There was one up in um, Canada, and it's not Charlottetown on Prince Edward Island, but I think there was up one up in the, God, it's maybe, is it Quebec? Uh, maybe it's Quebec. Isn't that a province? Yeah, it's a province. Quebec City. No. No. So I, I would have been, that's where I would have stopped because I would have been started second guessing everything in the middle. Well, you know what I'm saying? Here's the thing. Uh, there were two in Canada. 
which neither one of us thought of doing. Montreal and Toronto. Montreal and Toronto. Mm. Okay. Pittsburgh. Oh, Pittsburgh. Charleston. I was wondering if South Carolina, Charleston was there. I couldn't remember. Salt St. Marie. Never would have gotten that one. And then the one that ticked me off, dude. I'm sitting there going, all right, I think there's one in Tennessee. Knoxville or Nashville? Knoxville or Nashville? I went Knoxville. Well, Knoxville's closer. I went Knoxville. I said wrong. And I never went back and said Nashville, and that was one of them. Mm. I don't know why I didn't go back and try the other. Anyway, I was, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, you did good. You named, what, five or six. So you you mm. would have easily won, taken the championship, and would have faced uh, somebody the next week. No, because the one that you start, I don't know what the two that you came back on, when they started doing the name, the races, I'm sitting there trying to play along, and I'm like, okay, um, Oh, I have Flamme Rouge and, you know, uh, Formula Da or Day or D. And I'm like, and then they started doing all these ones. I'm like, I got no clue what those, I didn't know those could be considered race games. So the, I looked it up. The other one I came back on was a Stefan Feld and named the top 10 male actors with the most Razzie Award nominations for worst actor. I got that. Uh, see, that means nothing to me. <laughs> It, it meant nothing to uh, Kevin either. So a Razzie Award is given to an actor or an actress who does a horrible job in a bad movie. It's like typically they're in bad, bad movies. And if you start saying what big name actors have been in bad movies, one immediately came to mind real quick for me. Well, I would have said Kevin Costner with Waterworld. First one I threw out was Nicolas Cage. That was on there. Mm. What was his movie? Do you remember? A lot. A lot. Yeah, it, it's, by, it's named the top 10 who's won the most. Most. Yeah. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was in there. John Travolta. Mm. Uh, Johnny Depp. Ben Affleck. That's one I was kind of surprised at. Mm. Adam Sandler. Oh, Kevin Costner. Tony, you would have gotten one. He was number Woo! three. Yay. But did you have fun? I did. It was fun. It was fun. It, okay. it was, I just wish I could have made a, I was just like, I couldn't believe it. A ticket to ride question. Unbelievable. I was amazed at the production behind that with the screen sliding mm-hmm. and things like that. That was pretty sweet. They did a good job. Really good job. They did a great job. But now that you've talked about actors, I was devastated this week, which we were recording the first week in um, November. And I saw it posted on, and I think it was on your Facebook page or something about Sean Connery passing away. I'm just like, oh my heavens. Yep. Mm. Well, he was 90. I mean, yeah, that, I didn't know that. That's a long life. So he 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 lived a, a long life. But yeah, it was like, dang, original James Bond and so many other good stinking movies. What's your number one? With him in it? Well, no. Oh, no. Na- name a movie without. We're talking Sean Connery. Just get, name a number wow, one movie without with him, him in, in it. it. I, I meant, I, I was. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. So you want me to name my number one Sean Connery movie? But is he in the movie? Is he in the movie? Yeah. Um, okay. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to throw out uh, Bond movies. Okay. No. All right. My number one with him in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. That's my number one. He did such a good job in that, and and he was so different. You know, in James Bond, he was the suave, debonair, you know, guy, and in this week, he was the nerdy archaeologist professor, and he played perfectly with Harrelson Ford. I mean, oh, those two together. It's one of, whenever I see Hold that on. movie, I don't. He meant Harrison Ford, y'all. We're not giving you $5 for that. Harrison Ford. Did I say Harrelson? Yeah. That's because we have a, a Harrelson Ford dealership nearby. <laughs> we do. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> so I do it a lot. I do that a lot because I, you hear it constantly on the TV for the commercials and things like that. Oh my heavens. But uh, some people don't like that one, but it's one I will always watch and it's one I enjoy. And just, you know, we named the dog Indy. Ah, you know, some great quotes in there. And probably my second with him, and it is a movie that he did star star with Nicolas Cage, The Rock. Oh, you enjoyed The Rock? I enjoyed The Rock. It's a fun movie, but I would see a Razzie in there for Nicolas Cage. To me, that was one of Nick's better movies, in my opinion. In my opinion. Oh, but the scene with Ed Harris, and they're they're doing the command at the very end. Yes. We're standing, oh, that's such a good scene. Absolutely a good scene. That's back when Michael Bay actually made decent movies in the 90s. I'm going to let you go down that road. I'm not going to go there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and the other thing about the Indiana Jones is, you know, the tank scene when he's uh, doing the tanks and they're crying for Indy. Oh, that whole whole scene of World War II. I was just like, oh, my heavens, this is such a good movie. But, uh, hey, you got to move on. Got to move on. Okay, wow. All right, so so much for that. What are we moving on to? Well, you can't spend too much time, you know, being sad over this because they're, they're going to keep passing away. It's, it's Yeah, so that's, the, that's the bad part. You know, you're at the age when, like, all these people that you looked up to as kids, they're just going to start dropping like flies. It's so funny. You know, everybody here is like, oh, this year stinks because of all the people we've lost. And I went, y'all, every year more and more that mm-hmm. your icons you're going to be passing away because every year people are getting older. That's what I found myself watching when it's the oscars i always look for in memory what's the term uh, in memorandum yes in memoriam in memoriam yep. i enjoy watching that because it reminds me of everyone who died i'm like why why am i enjoying watching this because it gives me the fond feelings of you know what the movies they brought right speaking of tanks which i was talking about <laughs> you got to play world of tanks the board game the miniatures game the miniature, oh, sorry, board game, miniature games. Yes, you're right. Yeah, uh, from, yeah, Gale Force 9. So, do, Tony, back in, I had to go look this up. Back in 2016, October 2016, episode 103. Wow, over 100 mm-hmm. episodes ago. You and I played a game from Gale Force 9 called Tanks. Mm-hmm. We were really interested in it. It was basically uh, it's a miniatures game where you put tanks onto the table and fight each other. And in this version of the game, they came on sprues. So, you had to assemble the tanks, put them together, which is kind of the crafty part. And then you could paint them up and everything like that. It did okay, I think. Uh, They released the base set. They released a few expansions, but then it kind of went away. Well, Gale Force 9 has relaunched that game under the title World of Tanks. And I don't know if you know this. this, That's a video game. World of Tanks. Yes, I do know that. Okay. Uh So basically, they've gotten uh, the license for World of Tanks and then come out, re-released this game with basically the same rules, except now... The tanks are pre-constructed, so you get them in the box, there's put them out on the table ready to go. If you want to, you can paint them and stuff like that. The plastic's already kind of in the color that they are, such as in the German tanks, American tanks, Russian tanks, British tanks, etc. We played it four years ago, and the rules are still pretty much the same. And I went back and listened to our old review, and it still kind of applies today. If you've ever played X-Wing, this game feels like X-Wing in that you've got a stick of a certain size that when you take your movements, you're not using a ruler per se. I'm going to mm-hmm. move inches basically you have a measuring stick that you can move up to the length of that stick and i'll tell you how many times you can do that if your movement's two you can move that length of that stick like twice etc but you have your base tank which has a point value to it then you can apply upgrades to it kind of like with x-wing you can add crew to it which gives you special abilities you can add upgrades to it which gives you better guns etc 
And then during the game, you're going to move, your opponent's going to move. And then if you can see each other, you're going to fight. As long as you can see them, uh, you can shoot. You do get bonuses if you're within close range of somebody. There is a line of sight thing. We have to be able to see like three corners of the tank. And that's kind of one that Bert and I uh, played this together because uh, he was interested in it too. The only thing was trying to figure out, okay, can I really see three corners of that tank? If not, you're in cover and you get some bonuses and stuff. But I wanted to play with him because he's played a lot of X-Wing. I said, okay, how mm-hmm. does this compare to X-Wing? X-Wing is a very fast-moving game. You're constantly moving around, trying to get position and stuff. And in here, this is more like a ship game. You know when we played ship games before where they're slow-moving vehicles to where, you know, if you're on broadside of somebody, you're going to get a good shot off on them. It's the same sort of thing here. And what I found was you need to move because if you don't move, you're penalized for not moving because the idea is somebody can draw a bead on you. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, that means you're going to get less defense dice to roll. But then there's the flip side of that, where if you don't move, you might be able to get a better bead on somebody else. And it takes away some of their defense dice to us. The most confusing thing about this was how many defense dice to roll on your attack. You're just going to roll a number of certain attack die. But when they count up their defense die, they count up whether they're in cover. They are. They're going to get some defense dice. They have a base defense. If they move, they're going to count the number of times they moved and add defense dice to that. Both of you are going to roll up. Now, the combat resolution I thought was cool. So you either have a miss, hit, or a critical. Okay. If the defense has any critical dice showing, they get to cancel one of your dice. So let's say, for example, I have a critical, you have a critical. I'm going to, well, I'm going to cancel that critical right there. Oh, I got another critical. I'm going to cancel a regular hit right there. And then once that's done, then you get to cancel out any dev- any dice in return uh, that would allow me to to block damage. And as long as you have more hits after all that's resolved, you're going to deal damage back to me. And that took us a while to get because you can see it's like, well, I got all this dice to pull. Then you're going to cancel this. And I'm going to cancel this. And if it's a regular damage, you just take amount of damage that it dealt. If it's it's a critical damage, do you remember this? There was a critical damage deck where you drew a card off the top and it told you how much damage it did to you okay that's a hundred hundred episodes ago in uh four years don't remember okay so anyway so there's some of those damage could be repairable where at the end of the round you have a chance to roll some dice try to, to repair the damage so that's kind of it in a nutshell it's a very simple game but it's very takes a lot of strategy because these are slow moving devices and you're trying to get our vehicles and you're trying to get in certain range and trying to stay hidden, but you need to move. There's a lot of replayability because you can play a certain amount of points. You know, if you're going to play a 200 point game, then you find your tanks, you're going to add in crew members and upgrades and have all these cards you can add to make them feel different. You can make them more defensive. You can make them faster. You can make them have better guns, etc. So it's a very much a typical miniatures game. The base game is the only one, is the only thing that's out now, but they're going to be releasing additional tanks to go along with it. Now, in typical miniature form, hopefully there is uh, organized play with it because I think that takes that to make a game successful. They have different modes of gameplay. You have campaigns where you can say like uh, King of the Hill. It's like you got to rush to the middle and control certain control points and you get a point if you do the first one of three wins. There's one you just try to annihilate the other side first. There's one where you're set into the defensive position and the you're trying to outlast the other team. You know, if the defense lasts so many turns, they're going to win, etc. So there's a lot of game modes in it. So there's a lot of stuff there. So basic rules, a lot of replayability, 
a lot of it's just building your tanks and building the best list that you can. I don't know. We liked it four years ago. I think it's still a solid miniatures game today. And it comes pre-assembled, like I said. So just right out of the box, you can start playing. So with the game, if I remember correctly, when you build the crew out, those you don't your opponent doesn't know what your crew is ah, at great, the beginning. Great point. So yeah, there are upgrades that you can use and they're face down on the table. And until you use them, they don't know what what they what you have. So yes, you're right. You're inside the tank. You're not exactly sure what's in there until oh great. They have this large gun that's sitting over there, or this special type of you know shell that you could—it's like anti-tank shell or something. You could flip right. over the card and then and then use the card. So that is kind of cool. It's kind of hidden information, some of that stuff. Well, it's it's fog of war. I mean, you don't know that that's an armor-piercing shell until it goes right through the hull of your tank. <laughs> exactly. I just remember going to the various cons, and they would have it all set up on these incredible dioramas of the buildings and things like that. And I always thought, oh, that is so cool to have that in my basement that'd be awesome and it could just sit there and gather dust because no one would ever come over and play but it's one of those things it's cool i like historical type games uh right now i just think they're really cool and obviously you can recreate battles and you know if i was playing you you could say well we're gonna have germans versus russians or you know the brits versus germans or whatever like that and uh so you can and once more tanks come out you can fill out well, i mean you could have multiples in the same thing you have multiple shermans nothing's stopping you from doing that right just buy additional sherman tanks like i said it comes mm-hmm. with four models four tanks in there so just within the base game itself you can get a lot of play out of it this is available right now on miniature market only there it's only 32 dollars 32 bucks if you just want to try the base game. And actually, now I'm looking at, they already have additional tanks out. They got the German Stug 3, the uh, the British Valentine, the Soviet SU-100. Mm. Each of these are just nine bucks a piece on Miniature Market. That's not bad. That's not bad. But you've got to enjoy the premise of the tank battle versus the fast-paced X-Wing battle versus you know, the ship battle, because it was always one of the things that why I enjoy the tanks and the ship is because you talked about the strategy. Mm -hmm. And that to me is probably one of the selling points for me. If I were to have someone who would be willing to play the miniature games or that we could actually get together and do that kind of thing and not try to sell me on some type of war cry stuff and then make me put them together. I don't know. I'll put together your Skaven for you if you just get it and play me. And my, all my war cry people are gone. I got nobody to play with. So I, this is what I don't understand. So if I get war cry Skaven army yep. and you talked about the points and things like that. So where's the rule book? I have to go learn a new, is, I just, I guess what I remember from miniatures when we played, mm-hmm. um, what was that? Uh, what was war the machine? miniatures we played? War Machine. And I remember dropping the 500-page volume rules on the table. And I loved it. I thought it was the best thing. But man, it was a slog. And I didn't know all the rules. So the nice thing about Warcry, uh, it's a skirmish game. A lot fewer models. The rules are more, a lot more straightforward. The rules literally in two or three pages, and that's it. See, I can handle that. Yeah, that's it's nothing like War Machine. It is way easier than War Machine. That's why I love it so much. It only plays thirty to forty-five minutes. So I, I could put that on my Secret Squirrel Santa list. Secret Squirrel. What's that? I don't know. It's something you did in our Discord <laughs> channel, which I go to once a week, and I'm like, oh my gosh. What is going on here? I'm like, okay, I'm in here now. Now, oh, wait, all the channels, and now they're compressed and expanded, and there's, why are there 10 notifications over here? What is going on? 
Make it stop. I, I was trying to get it organized. We got everything kind of broken out by subjects and it's easier to find stuff now. And you learned how to do an introductory message where when someone comes onto the Discord channel, they're told to go over and tell us about their lawnmower mm. and have a moon pie. Yeah, so Secret Squirrel is something that we've started on Discord channel. We just kind of threw it out there with anybody would be interested. Everybody knows what Secret Santa is. This is just our version of the same thing. We can participate. You can give a wish list. We're going to randomly uh, select somebody for you to tr- uh, give a gift to somebody's going to give you a gift in return. And some people came up with a great idea on this, Tony, in that along with your wish list, list some local game stores in your area that we could support. So the Mm. idea for like, for example, we have Carolina Tabletop Games. If I list them as my local game store, then the person who draws my name could say they're going to call our local store, see if what I want is there, buy it, and then maybe have the store owner or the store email the other person and say, hey, somebody got you a gift, come and pick it up. So that way it supports the local economy, which times like this, which would be good. And you get a free game out of it. Well, while you're on the secret squirrel, you get a free game, but you're given a free game. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're given one, you're getting one. Yeah. But the whole idea was if somebody has a local store they want to support, great. If not... Obviously, you can just you know use Miniature Market, Amazon, whoever the the you know the publisher site themselves to send them the game that way. But we thought let's try to go local first, just to try to support the local economy. Right, and this is open to everybody, I assume, because you can always do Amazon.de, Amazon.uk, and other stores yes. that are online. Because you know, credit is good in any language. Credit cards are good. And see, that's actually a really good point because let's say I get somebody's name in Germany and they have a store they have listed. Hopefully, they'll speak English and I can contact them and and buy the game. And it saves on shipping charges. Absolutely. So you came up with this all on your own. Uh, well, I just kind of threw it out there. I mean, a lot of people do Secret Santa stuff, right? But now we've got a Discord channel and and everybody, please come join. We're almost hitting 200 right now. We'd love to have 200 people in oh there to, just to come and hang out and everything. And that's where we're going to be. We have a channel called Secret Squirrel where people can sign up and stuff. And we will keep it open through this episode. And a few days after this, we'll see how many people actually want to do it. And then we'll pick names and then we'll pick a date where you need to have it sent by. But yeah, I mean, a lot of good points about the whole... I didn't even think about the not shipping. Yeah, you're totally shaving on, on shipping. It's like, just go pick up your own game. I mean, I guess it may be kind of a pain to... Somebody has to get out and go get their own game. And you don't have to. You don't have to list a store if you don't want. Right. But just happens if you go into that store, you might pick up something else and now help out the store. Who knows? You can always use a paradise. That's what we're looking at. We're calling it the secret squirrel. Um, again, it's our Discord channel. Thanks to all those who came in in October. We gave away $10 gift certificate to Miniature Market every weekend. And in the final weekend, drew some names, giving away a surprise box of games that we haven't shipped yet, but will be happening soon. That's right. We rolled some dice and we took some names. So Tony, you brought up Sean Connery earlier. I did. And Sean Connery is uh, known for a lot of the James Bond spy movies that he made. Really? I hadn't heard that. Did you know that Sean Connery was in those movies? You mean a, a spy movie that he was in that I might like? Like, <laughs> what's your favorite? Well, well, let's try this one. What do you? What was one of your favorite Sean Connery? 007 movies. Goldfinger. See, mine too. I was not a fan. I enjoyed Dr. No, Mm -hmm. but Goldfinger was, yeah, one of my favorites. But anyway, you and I got to play a game that's kind of based around the same theme of spies and espionage and everything like that. That was about it. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, we did. We got an opportunity to play a game called Deep State. It came out in 2019. And I, I will tell you right now, Marty, I, when I first saw this game, I was like, oh my God. Gosh, this looks like the art that you and I love and the way they talk about it from, um, oh, Spycraft. Who produced that? Do you remember? AEG made Spycraft, but this game is by they Crowd did. Games. Really? Crowd Games? C-R-O-D. Not Crow D Games. Not is Crow it Crow D, D? It's C-R-O-W capital D. Maybe it's Crow D Games. The box brought me. I was like, yep. oh, this looks so cool. Same here, Tony. When I saw it, I immediately thought Spycraft. And so then all of a sudden, my mind's reeling with, oh boy, we're going to have these factions and we're going to go out and we're going to try to do missions and somebody else is going to try to thwart those missions. No, that's not what it was. <laughs> we're not trying to say that it's a bad game. Not Lord knows we're not saying that at all. It wasn't what we expected. Right. <laughs> I mean, the game is pretty straightforward. You're going to go out and you are going to try to score the most victory points. And the way you do that is by claiming various objectives or going for global domination or world domination projects. And at the end of the game, whoever has the most victory points is the winner. And the way you're doing that is by drafting spies to go put on cards and someone can come and take those objectives from you. And based on the sets you are collecting is how you'll score victory points. And so the thing you have to manage is the number of spies that you are having in your pool that you have drafted. Mm -hmm. And some of the interesting aspects of the game is uh, I talked about the objective cards. You have the world domination projects, which you will advance over time where it gives you special benefits. It will let you either be able to look at more objectives or claim uh, a different objective deeper in the pile, or maybe you'll get ghost agents, people that you have swayed over and they, they help you in your world domination. And to be honest with you, I thought, like you, I thought there'd be more interaction to this game. Yeah, there really wasn't a lot, except from like when you go and place your agents out on an objective, uh, it's kind of an area control thing, area majority. Somebody could come and place one more agent than you and send your agents back. And then, you know, they would get that objective. And I thought one interesting thing was your, when you claim an objective, the agents stay on there. And at the end of each round, you get to pull one agent off each, each objective. So eventually start getting them back. Of course, that's one of the things you can upgrade, right? You can upgrade the number of agents that you could pull back from an objective. So you talked about that earlier about being able to look deeper in the road. First, only look at the first three objectives, but you could upgrade to look in the fourth and fifth you know, slot objective to try to put tokens out there or get more ghosts, like you said, pull more back, have more agents that you can send out. But aside from the trying to take an objective for somebody else, there wasn't too much player interaction. Whereas with Spycraft, the card game, that's all it was. And I think that's where you and I were like, oh, <laughs> yeah. One of the interesting things about Deep State that I thought was the fact that on certain of the objectives, be not from the cards, not from the infiltration zone, but either from the covert operations where you would have to um, send out people, they could, they could die. And so they'd go back in your reserve pool. They're not gone forever. You can bring them back. But then you have to start building up your spies again mm -hmm. to, to be able to do that. Or you have to have certain objectives to meet, to move, to advance your world domination projects. Right. And when your infiltration zone is done, then you have a special phase called the treaty phase where you have secret objectives in your hand that if you've played, uh, acquired certain cards or you're in a certain area of the world domination, then you can play this and you get special effects. Right. And that was something that 
for me, I got frustrated because I couldn't do complete any of my world treaty card. And it was one of those games that we played at the end of the night mm-hmm. where we were spent. And I was like, okay, we missed something here. Yeah. You know? It's set collection, like you said, because if you get certain objectives together, then it gives you additional points. Some of those objectives have certain icons that you need to advance your abilities on some of those other cards. You talk like being able to look deeper into the objective pile, bring more recruits back. So you need certain objectives from certain countries or certain icons on to be able to advance those. Uh, it has, kind of, I guess, kind of a worker placement feel because you're putting out a majority of workers on an objective. It's just that the theme didn't really stick for me very much. I didn't feel like I was playing a spy game. No, I, I can understand that because you weren't. You weren't trying to manipulate. Right. There, there was no hidden, I guess the only hidden agendas were in the treaty. Everything else was common knowledge. And when you think of spies, you think of, you don't know what they're doing, what they got up their sleeves. Now I did say, uh, I will say one of my treaties had something where I could steal something from you. Yeah. And that was probably one of the biggest interactions. Now they do have an expansion for this that changes some of the world domination, add some cards, and it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm not, I'm not writing this game off just because I've always liked the games where if I'm putting workers out, there is a cost to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. But if it becomes a tedious nature of me having to constantly, okay, do this, all right, rebuild back up, do it again, then that's going to taint my opinion. Ooh, I think that's going to segue into a game that we're going to be talking about later too, I think. Uh, maybe. It could. I don't know. <laughs> So anyway, so that is uh, Deep State. But you're right. Both of us came in there kind of tainted expecting one thing. And we shouldn't have done that, right? We shouldn't expect it to be this other game just because the theme and the art was kind of the same. But that happens. And that's something that you you got to say, okay, let's let's try this again later. Yep. Let's clear our minds. Now we know what it is. I also think that the game suffered from three. If there had been four, I think it would have been... Players... You're talking about? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you for the correction. Yeah, number of players. I mean, the game can go up to five players. That might get more cutthroat. Yep, that's true. Especially because since you're fighting over the same things, I guess probably we played in what, about 45 minutes to an hour? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't a very long game. And that was the thing. It was the interaction. There was not the interaction, but where if you had four players, because you can look three deep in the infiltration, so all three of us could pick one card. Yep. But in a four player, that's not going to be the case. Somebody may be wanting to go there. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you're right. 100%. Four players will definitely be a little more cutthroat. Well, hurry up and get out of here, you stupid COVID. So speaking of stupid COVID, <laughs> I shouldn't, I mean, it's not, it's, it's serious. It's serious. I mean, I'm sorry. I know it's just, it's just the way you, you just like, boom, boom, boom. Now we're here. Okay. Come on now. How long you been doing the show with me? Eight years. Okay. And you should be expecting that right. kind of garbage. Our restaurant where we were meeting to play is shutting down. The ice cream social Thursdays are gone. Oh my gosh. I couldn't believe it. So we got there Thursday. Sign on the door saying, this coming Saturday, we're closing the doors for good. And this store has been there for 20 years. It's Jason's Deli, which is a chain. Mm-hmm. And they were so nice to us to let us come in there and play. And we were like the only ones in there. The only people that came in there to get food were typically was to go. So social distance was no issue. It was no, yeah, <laughs> exactly. There was nobody around us. Except they kept the ice cream machine going <laughs> for us. <laughs> and we went and got the ice cream. But it is, it is no more. 
So now we must find a new home to play our uh, weekly gaming. Now, our local gaming store is opened up. They've really limited the number of people that can go into the store. So we're going to try that this week and uh, see how that goes. And just we'll kind of go from there. But they don't have free ice cream there. No, they don't. They don't have anything free there except pretzel sticks. That's true. And I'm not sticking my hand in that jar. <laughs> no, you can have all your pretzel sticks that you want. It'll be solid mask there. We'll be good to go. And, and and it had nothing to do. They were doing fine from a financial standpoint. It was just something they, they decided, you know, we need to shut down. And unfortunately, we're going to start seeing all this stuff. Yeah, they said actually they were they were staying afloat. It had nothing to do with the situation that we were in. It was just there was some other things going on behind the scenes. They had to put a bunch of work into the place to fix it or stuff. And the owner said, nah, I don't feel like doing it. I'm just going to shut down. Hey, it's his choice. Yep. He doesn't you do what you want to do, but you screwed me up. And I think you made a good point yesterday when you said we should have asked how much that ice cream machine was before we left. We could have got it and brought it home. <laughs> Well, the the one was broke, and they had to roll one in from somewhere. We broke it, it one of them. It was kind of falling apart because the Coke Zero dispenser has been out for like two months. <laughs> it's been out of order. So, okay, yeah, maybe I guess you don't want to invest in this, do you? Yeah, but I got my $2 worth of soda every night and had to stop halfway home. <laughs> PortalGamesUS.com, that is the place to go to see a really cool scrolling banner if you have a problem with your attention deficit disorder because you can just sit here and watch it go scroll past you time and time again hold and on, just keep on. reading. I want to go see this. PortalGamesUS.com, you say, sir? That's what I say. So matter of fact, right now, I'm seeing Dig Deeper, a Rob Davio. Hey, I heard he was on Rolling Dice and Taking Names lately. Uh, he was in our special At the Table episode. The Playmates are... Playmates. <laughs> the play math wow what, hold on what, what is what is scrolling on the banner i do not see that ah, that's a bad read on my side hey thanksgiving's coming up if you do bring people together you can get detective on the table hold on those play mats are nice they're 51st state imperial settlers the monolith arena the problem is ignacy says to do a commercial you should always say what the problem is and here's the solution what's the problem the problem is you need a nice play mat <laughs> where do you go to get it <laughs> portalgamesus.com because the play mats are in but the thing that's got me so excited, it just flashed there, the Robinson Crusoe treasure chest. Look at that. There's a good Thanksgiving game to play with everybody to really keep the spirit high. Oh my God, we lost again. <laughs> wow. And they got the cool pre-order still for the Year of Moloch, the big Nurishima hex box uh, with that really cool figure, 3D figure that's going to be in there. So that's still on pre-order. It's a limited number. So if you want to, better go pre-order now. And be sure to check out Portal Games US dot com and go over to their twitch channel every day i get notifications that the twitch at portal is starting up who knows what's going over there our buddy captain is it captain link or captain eric captain link whose name is eric that's what i thought see why confuse me like that i wasn't i was straightening you out i appreciate that and he's always teaching monolith over there or nirishima you can learn a lot so be sure to go to portalgamesus.com very last ice cream social the loss <laughs> it's gone See, you, you just you just broke the train of thought there but that's not hard with me we got to play lost ruins of arnak did i say that right is it arnak arnak it is a-r-n-a-k is what it is 
And who and who is the uh, producer of this fine established game here? That would be CGE. CGE. Also, oh, you know the production quality was out the roof. It was, and it's designed by Men and Elwin. And this is their first game they've ever designed. And let me tell you what. Tell me, Marty. Tell me what you're telling me. Going to tell me. They knocked it out of the park for me. Did they? Yes. Did you enjoy this game? I love this game. So when you were on vacation, I got to play it. And I said, Tony, you, when you get back, you got to try this game. And you came and we, and we got to play it again. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's like a deck building game, but then there's like, two workers that you have to go out and you got archaeologists that you're basically going out and trying to do digs and stuff like that. So it's worker placement. It's deck building. Uh, you know how I remember t- uh, Tyrants and the Underdark? I loved it because it was like a deck building game, both area control. This mm-hmm. is what I feel about this. A deck building game with worker placement mechanics. All right. Well, that's fair, but I am going to dispute your deck building because after I played it, I felt it was not a deck builder. Oh, okay. So why is that? Well, for someone who plays a lot of deck builders, 3000 plus in Ascension on the iPad, DA McCree, if you want to challenge me. So normal deck building, you are trying to get the cards that you can recycle through. Yeah. This game you don't have that recycle like you're used to when you're deck building. There is no culling. Sure there is. Yes. Not like you're used to. No. 100%. Yes. There there are actions where you can get rid of cards because remember you start with two fear which are negative points to you. So you want to try to get actions where you can get rid of those cards out of your deck which I couldn't get enough of and end up with negative points at the end. Okay. So for your definition of culling, that's fine. For my definition, it is getting rid of the useless starter decks. But fear actually has a purpose. Well, yeah. I mean, it's still usable. But you can call stuff besides fear. Uh, fine, that's fair. I'll give you this one point. Okay, that's my one point. What's your next point? My next point is that, which was my mistake, though I did it. And uh, Okay, let's put it on the table. I won. I shouldn't have, <laughs> but I did. Let's put it on the table. I won, by the way. My general strategy is, okay, I need to buy multiple cards, get a lot of cards so I have a lot of options so that I can get some sort of engine going here. Yes. You're not going to do that due to the shortness of this game. So if you're going out clogging your hand up with a whole bunch of cards, you're not going to get that synergy. You're not going to get that um, replayability of the cards that are coming out. And I did that. I had some cards that I thought I was going to get multiple uses out of, and I did not. In a deck builder, usually you will see those cards multiple times. Yeah. Okay. Now, I will give you that because... Okay, point me. ...of how this game flows. So like I said... You're going to start out uh, with the hand of cards, and it's just your basic stuff. They're multi-use cards, right? They can give you things like they can give you compasses or gold. It's like you play it, you get that resource, which is going to be useful in the game. These cards also in the upper left icon has these vehicles for where you want to travel to. Because there's different actions you can take with playing a card. When you discover a new site, what you're going to have to do is play a card that will allow you to travel to a site somewhere on the board. Some require cars. Some require boats. Some require boots. Those are the ones that are really close to you. That's just a local camp. And some of them require multiple of those. So when you play those cars from your hand, it allows you to move to that location, take one of your workers, and put it there and resolve an action. Now, that's actually one of those cases where you're using the cards in your hand, but not every action that you can do on your turn requires those cards at all. So I see your point in that 
not everything you do in this game is going to have to be do with that deck of cards that you've been building up. No, I mean, it's, it's a movement. It's to gather resources. Some of the cards have those special actions that allow you to do a certain, oh, I don't know, call. Let's, let's just go to the easy one. But as we were playing near the end of the game, we were going up this track over on the right side of the board. The Lost Temple track, to, yep. The Lost Temple track, trying to achieve points. Yes, it's a research track. You're absolutely correct. And that's one of the actions. So there's a lot of actions you can take. Let me just say them real quick. Dig at a site, discover a new site, overcome a guardian, buy a card, play a card, research, pass. So those are the seven things that you do on your turn. You do one of those seven and you can take as many free actions as you want. Free actions are cards with lightning bolts on it. You have some assistants that we'll talk about later that you can get that have lightning bolts on it. And typically these are for building combos. It's like, well, I'm going to play this card to get this resource, do this so I can do this to play this and do this. It becomes a big combo building game. But of those seven things, the only time that you time you need to play cards to take an action is what I said was one of them is discover a new site. One is dig at a site that already exists. Potentially, maybe maybe overcome a guardian, depending on what you need to, to spend to overcome a guardian. Mm-hmm. But buying yeah. a card, which is what you're talking about, building up your deck, there's a market at the top. There's items and there's artifacts. I kind of like this too. There's, this game's only played over five rounds. And starting out, you've only got, you got a, a whole bunch of items, but only one artifact. And the round marker moves from left to right, and it's filled in to the left with artifacts and to the right with items. So as the game progresses, you have less items to choose from, but more artifacts. So one thing you can do, go spend gold and get a card. Okay, I can go do that. And you're not playing your entire hand on your turn. Typically in a deck building game, right? You're gonna have whatever's in your hand, you're gonna throw it out on the table, you're gonna resolve it and move on. Not so here. And I like that. You just made a point for me. It's unlike a deck builder where you don't throw it all on the on the table. Fine. Let's get past that. Let's move on past that. The way you win, you get victory points. I guess when I sat down and what really upset me was that when I was given my pieces to play, the stickers were not already on my oh pieces. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're right. That's what I said. How can you not put the stickers on these pieces? Somebody who's responsible for getting a game ready for me to come play, he did not do his appropriate job. Why? I don't like stickering pieces. And it was only two pieces. It was the magnifying glass and it's the book that's used over there on the research track. Well, it's actually, you had to put four stickers on, but you were lazy and only put them on one, one side. side of your, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, so who would know what it was? I mean, yeah, the one looks like a magnifying glass and the one looks like a book. So if it flips over, you're not going to get Kinda confused. Kind of know what it is, yes. I did like the aspect. You talked about the monsters that come out. Yeah, so when you go and discover a new site, you have a tile that's going to flip over. And this is a new location that you could send your worker to which gives you additional resources at the beginning of the game there's this camp at the bottom of the board that kind of gives you a basic resource like one will give you you know a gold one gives you a compass another resource you have are tablets and then arrowheads and jewels those are the different resources that you have in the game that's used throughout when you go and discover a new site a new tile comes out that's usually going to give you better stuff it just it's a little bit further out, so you need to have to make sure you have the right card with the right vehicle on it to play to be able to get a worker out there to take it. But what I like, Tony, is when you put a new site out there, there's a guardian there that's protecting it. And so this monster tile goes out there that you need to defeat, and usually that's by spending resources on it. I'll say at the bottom, here's the resources you need to spend in order to get rid of this monster. Every monster you defeat is worth five points to you. But if at the end of the round, you have one of your workers there at a location that has a monster, 
you have to take one of those fear cards into your deck, which is minus one point at the end of the game, which is where I screwed up. I sucked up too many fear cards and was not able to get rid of it. So I just like all that. It's like, okay, I'm going to go explore a new site. Cool. Here's a new location. Oh man, there's a guardian there on it. Well, then I, one of my actions in the future is I'm going to discard these resources to get rid of that guardian. Hey, cool. That sucker has five points on it. But wait, there's an icon on the guardian. That's a one-time use that I can use at one point during the game. Sweet. I mean, all these little options of these actions that you do come from getting guardians on your side. Uh, when you go and discover a new site, you have these little idols that you can collect Sure, they're worth three points at the end of the game, but also on your turn as a free action, you can cover up a spot on your board. There's four spots on your board for idols, which gives you additional free action. It might give you additional resources. And then there's the whole research track we talked about, where to move up the research track, it's going to cost you a certain number of resources to move up a track. And when you do, you get a bonus. The magnifying glass must always be ahead of or equal to where the book is. So the magnifying glass, you usually move up first. The book behind it, the magnifying glass will give you one thing. The book will give you another. It might be this cool assistant that you get to put on your board. You can only have two assistants and then you can use those to do special things for you. So by the fifth round, your turns become so flipping cool because I can play this card, tap this assistant, use this idol to give me the resource that I need to be able to do this. It becomes a nice little puzzle and I love puzzly combo type games and that's what this is. Which will unfortunately, slow you the freak down. Yeah, I 100% agree. You will not argue that in the fourth and fifth round, the game can slow down because on a person's turn, there is a lot that they can do with just one single action. Right. And if someone puts that worker out there that collects resources or whatever, and you needed that specific resource, then suddenly you are, oh, now I got to figure out what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. How can I make this happen? What can I do? How can I exchange this, turn this in to get this? What do I need to do? How can I race up this track so I can get more points than you later in the game? Once again, not being negative here. I am simply stating that for this game, for someone who is, don't introduce it as a deck builder. Like I said, move past that. It is a game. It's a deck is builder though, man. Each of you start out with the same set of cards. I mean, what else would you call that? When you introduce it as a deck builder, I'm thinking of fast gameplay. Bam, 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 bam. Let's go. Okay, well. All right. And I, I see your point, but it, and I know you're It's say, about resource management. It's about resource management. Well, sure it is. But most deck builders are. It's like, well, I'm going to use these cards to be able to generate these resources to buy stuff with or do something with. But there's only two. Well, in your most basic, basic deck builder, yes, but you're basically comparing this to Ascension at this point. Well, I'm a uh, clank. To me, it does have a feeling of clank in that, you know, you spend footprints to move. Same thing here. You have to spend certain types of things to build moves. So it kind of reminded me of Clank also. I mean, I enjoyed playing the game. I don't know if I mentioned this. I did win. Okay. I, I need to point that back out just in case I didn't. I didn't. I don't remember. I'm, I'm old and I forget these oh, things. Oh, you did say it multiple times. I, I did. Okay. Yeah. My idea. Okay. Well, it's important to keep that on. Keep, because I, I don't win a lot when we play. But one of the things I, I screwed up and I don't know if it was the person teaching it, was, it wasn't about a longest road which you go back a few episodes where Marty taught wrong rules but I could not grasp and this is on me <laughs> playing an artifact I don't know what it was in y'all's explanation yeah. but when you pull an artifact down you get to do this and this and another unique thing about this game is and we'll go back to the artifact is that when you're done playing your hand or whatever how many cards you want you shuffle those and just stick them on the bottom of the deck you don't have uh, your play area and it, 
And I think that's what was throwing me off a little bit. I will give you this. This is different because, you know, typically you have your play area, you have a discard pile in a deck building game I'm talking. And when your deck is empty, you take your discard pile, shuffle it, right? And you create Mm -hmm. a new deck. There's no such thing as a discard pile in this game. When you play your cards, they're just going to stay in your play area until the end of the round. And then, like you said, you scoop all those up, shuffle, stick to the bottom of your deck. That is different than what you're talking about, the artifacts and items. When you buy an item, you take that and you put it at the bottom of your deck. So you know it's going to be coming up soon. So the cards in your play area is going to be underneath that in your deck. And what is weird, and I'll give you this too, the artifact you can immediately put into play. So the item goes to the bottom of your deck. An artifact immediately you can use at that point in time And then the next time that artifact comes up in your deck, you're going to have to pay a tablet to be able to use it. But the first time you get it, you get to use it. I understand how that's confusing. But if you use the artifact to generate travel, you can't do that. You can't use the tablet. These are multifunction cards, right? Mm -hmm. So you use either the travel thing or use the text on the card. That's it. And I think for me, that's when when we first played this, I was saying, okay, I had a play area, discard pile, and a draw pile. Once again, all me, Incension, I have my area for my my constructs going on, and then I have my area for where I've played cards, and then I have my discard pile. I was treating my artifacts as constructs that I was going to be able to use. If I, as long as I had tablet, I could use that special. No, Tony, you put it in play, you can then immediately use the text without spending a tablet. You take that Put it in your play. It's in your play area. At the end, shuffle it up, stick it on the bottom. You got it right. That's exactly right. Oh, I know I got it right after about the fourth round and I screwed everything else up. That's how I won. I cheated. Okay. All right. You know what? I will concede to you, just like we thought with Deep State, hey, I'm expecting this one thing and it's something else. So if you Mm -hmm. play a lot of deck builders, you do need to wrap your head around how cards are put back into your draw deck. Because it is different. I liked it because it was different. I like the fact that the item that I bought was not going to have to wait to be for me to empty my deck, shuffle everything, and then try to find it again. I know it's going at the bottom of my draw pile and be coming up pretty soon. So that got me to my item quicker. I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. This is, that's why I keep saying I felt that, hey, this is a lot more than that. I like the concepts of it. At the end, we were racing, uh, uh, trying to generate resources to race up the research track to gain points. I didn't think we explored a whole lot. I wanted to see more concepts of the monsters out there. But all in all, it was fun. It was an enjoyable game. It was something different. The components are amazing. The art's amazing. It's a typical CGE, amazing production. It's definitely a game that I hope that we'll get to play again. I can definitely see expansions with different cards and it fits right along with the theme here of the discussion around Sean Connery, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You're an adventurer and you're an explorer. <laughs> Boom. Wow. Wow. That all fit together. And so like for you in our last episode, I believe you mentioned God, Godfather. Wow. Where'd that come from? Guildmaster is probably going to be one of your potential games of the year. This game right here could potentially be my game of the year. I liked it that much. I love when you can take two solid mechanics that I like, merge them together, and come out with something that I just feel is brilliant. And you know another thing that I like about games is that games that end quicker than I feel they should. This game does not outstay its welcome for me. I'm like, holy crap, 
we're already at the fifth round and I haven't got anything done sort of deal. I love that. After this play, I will definitely minimize, even though they're victory points, cards in my draw deck. I will look at that very hard and say, okay, I don't need to be doing this. I need to be looking elsewhere for how to use and generate these resources. Again, I loved, I love this game. I think it's so good. Lost Ruins of Arnak from CGE. Again, this potentially could, could be my game of the year because I love it when you take two mechanics and merge them into something that just makes it special. And that's what this is for me, even though Tony says it's not a deck builder. You're going to begin some games this holiday season, hopefully. Maybe through a secret squirrel. You never know. And maybe you want to be able to organize those games or be able to get them out to the, the table a lot quicker. Well, you need to go check out the Broken Token because they have made a lot of organizers for a lot of different games. And in fact, some of the most recent is Nations, the organizer. That's a beast, beast of a game, Tony. And they have this wonderful insert for holding all the components and everything. You have one that you need to put together some point in time. Untold Journeys organizer, which is the Lord of the Rings game. From Journeys to Middle, Journeys, Journeys in Middle, or Journeys of the Lord of the Rings. What is it called? Journeys. Oh, now you've messed me up. It's <laughs> it's the Middle Earth game where you're taking a journey. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Journeys in Middle Earth. Okay, I'll go with that. Because <laughs> there's a lot of components in that game, so they have a nice organizer for that one. And if it's not organizers you're looking for, they're getting into printing 3D items. They have 3D dice towers. They have different terrain that you can use on the table for RPGs and miniatures games. So again, keep an eye out for them for potential sales this holiday season. To find out more, go to thebrokentoken.com. It's time for Flying Squirrels, two-minute discussions on topics that have our attention. For now. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. It is time for another segment of Flying Squirrels, and it has been a while since we've done this, y'all, so this is your first time hearing it. Let me explain what this is. Each of us is going to come up with a topic and talk for two minutes. Just two minutes, people. Then after that, we're going to move on to the next subject. Tony, you remember how to do this? I do. And everybody was like, why can't you just do the whole show like that? <laughs> Put a two minute timer on everything y'all talk about. <laughs> Game reviews, banter, outro. We could get this whole show done in under 15 minutes. But no, you put it for this special thing we haven't heard in probably over three to four years. And you're bringing it back. Well, there's a reason. We hit two hours last time, and I'm tired of it, Marty. Let's shorten this bad boy up. Oh, wait, never mind. We're going to hit two hours on this one, too. <laughs> Jeez. Well, you are on fire tonight. Uh, I'm fuego, baby. I'm fuego. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention it's been so long since we've done it. When you hear this sound, it means it's time for us to move on to the next subject. And this is actually a sound that I don't make with my mouth. Like, woo! Marty's got a little bit he can throw in there. This is when we It's actually, actually the Rocky's flying sound effect. Did you know that? That's a, such a great Geico commercial. Is it Geico? With Rocky? Yeah, yeah, Geico the Gecko. Yeah, it's got Rocky and Bullwinkle. I have not seen this one. Tell me about, what is this about? He's out in the middle somewhere and um, Bullwinkle comes up and Rocky, I can't remember it all. I love their commercials. They, some of those just resonate with me. But anyway, go search it for it. YouTube, it's an amazing thing. Every once in a while, we'll get some PR places reach out to us and offer us some keys to video games. Now, it just so happened that they offer us a key to a Switch game, and both Tony and I love our Switches, and this one is called Clea. 
I had not heard of this, so I went and looked it up, and this was actually released on the PC last year, and it got amazing reviews. So I thought, sure, I'll try this out. And what this is is kind of a, kind of like a, a thriller game where you're trying to avoid monsters and stuff, but it's not, it doesn't have jump scares. Why are you doing the monster mash dance? I thought that was the thriller thing. Keep going. Oh, you only got two minutes. Thing. Okay. Yeah, my bad. So you're playing this little girl and I don't want to give too much of the story away, but something is just not right. And you're trying to escape a mansion. You have a little brother with you, and you're roaming the halls. And one thing you can do is like peek behind doors and make sure there's no ghouls in there. But you're trying to find clues. You're trying to find keys while avoiding the monsters that are in the place. But what's so cool is they recommend using headphones and it's really kind of eerie you have to have headphones in to be able to hear where footsteps are coming from is it coming from the right hand side is it coming from the left hand side and when a monster is in the same floor as you you actually kind of hear a heartbeat going boom 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 to let you know they're nearby and so then what i do is you have to find some place to hide then you'll kind of peek out when the monster goes by so it is of course a puzzle game but I love the the atmosphere and everything like that. It's very stealthy. The only downside is, Tony, is you can do so well at trying to solve the puzzle and then you get captured and you send all the way back to the beginning. So today I spent like 10 minutes getting almost to the next save point, died and had to go back and do it again. So you do have to kind of get used to that, but it's a fun little puzzle game on the Switch. I think it's worth checking out, man. That would probably send me over the edge right there. So I will definitely check it out because you know I love my Switch. I haven't mentioned Skyrim yet in this episode, but I'm sure it'll come out somewhere. Yep. So that is Clea, available right now on the Switch. When this show comes out, we will be, hopefully the world will still be a standing and that everything will be okay, and life is going to be good. But one thing, Marty and I always say, yes. <laughs> People have told us, I love coming and listening to y'all's show because y'all don't talk doom and gloom, and this is twice tonight we've brought up doom and gloom. Positive unicorns, rainbows, but what I am going to say here is that Marty and I will never be political on this show. But I will oh be my gosh, so happy. what are you doing? I will be so happy. You mentioned this, and I completely agree with you. I will be so happy to stop receiving all these flyers in my mailbox. Oh my gosh. Please, please stop sending me these hard cardboard flyers in my mailbox. I am tired of putting them in the recycling bin. Do you honestly think that's going to impact any of my opinions on this show or my vote or anything like that because you put some little scary picture on this? No, you're not. If you wanted to influence my vote during this time with these flyers, you know what you could have done? You could have printed it on toilet paper. <laughs> that is what I needed. <laughs> You would have had me hook, line, and sinker if you had done this and put it on toilet paper. You could have done, I know you can't send me a dollar bill attached with it because that is wrong. But what I am saying is use your head, people. Think about these things. What do people need right now? Heck, put a little wipe, hand wipe pack it on top of it. I don't know. You want to sway me? Give me something I need. Not these stupid flyers that junk up my mailbox, junk up my recycle bin, and I hope they are recyclable because if they're not, I'm not going to be a happy person. No, I'm not. And Lord knows I am always happy. I am never grumpy on this show, but so excited that we'll get past this voting, this election thing here in the United States, and I can stop receiving these stupid flyers. 
Over to you, Marty. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. Wouldn't that not be hilarious if the flyers were on toilet paper and as you're sitting there doing your business, like, oh, I was wondering what this person's position was on this. <laughs> oh, Josh. Oh, that, hey man, that was funny. That was good. Thank you. Oh. Tony and I have been big fans of the Blizzard video game publishing company. Even before they were Blizzard, we loved the games Lost Vikings. Then they took on the Blizzard name, came out Diablo, StarCraft, Warcraft, loved them all. Well, one of the senior vice presidents of Blizzard, who left several years ago, is really big into tabletop gaming. He has this big gaming group that he has where they play miniatures games and board games. It was just announced that he's starting a brand new tabletop game company called War Chief Gaming. And Tony, I am super excited about this because the creators of these video games that we loved, I wonder if they can translate their love of, of games, which is now miniature games or tabletop games, into something that, that we may end up loving. Don't tease me with an RTS type game. Don't do it. He hasn't said what it is. He keeps talking about, or, the, or they keep talking about, they love miniature games. So people are wondering, is it going to be like a 40K type game or something like that? But now that you said that, wouldn't that be cool for sort of, sort of oh. uh, of RTS type game? If, of course, I don't know how you do real time in a, in a board game type setting, but I'm just excited that these people that came up with all these IPs and these games that we've played and loved for decades is now going to put his attention and focus on tabletop gaming. Again, it's, it's called War Chief Gaming. Not much is known except this one video that dropped this past week, and they said, hey, just come and make sure to subscribe to our website and get the newsletter because we got some big news coming. Could you just imagine if, like StarCraft, if you were battling over resources for a miniature game and if you got to collect so many over time that you were able to come back and upgrade a miniature at that time? That would be so cool. That would be so cool. Obviously, they can't or probably will not use the Blizzard IP stuff, but still, the people behind the games that we love, ah, I can't. I just can't wait to see what they do. Again, it's called War Chief Gaming. Go look them up if you want to follow them now. One of the things I got to do recently was play the game The Crew. Now, Marty, I think this game won an award or something, didn't it? You want to give away $5, don't you? Well, didn't it? Wasn't it part of the game? I'm not saying yes or no. It's been up for awards. Okay, well, either way, it was up for award. It may have won an award. We're not saying yes or no. We are simply saying, I got to play The Crew. Now, you have played The Crew. Love it. It's a trick-taking game. Why have you not let me play this game until I had to go play it somewhere else? I I should have. A co-op trick-taking game. Are you kidding me? And it works so well. So we got to play up through Mission 8. Mm -hmm. And one of the things is, and one of the rules I'm sure we broke was, there was a constant discussion of strategy while we were playing this game. You cannot do that. I know you cannot do that. But when you're playing with people who might be, say, not used to that type of game, it's going to come out. It has to come out. And it will. And I'm fine with that, right? I'm not. It didn't take away from the game. I had no issues with that. We just we broke a ton of rules when we were playing um, Big Potatoes games, uh, MTV music game. We broke a ton of those rules, but and and we didn't even do the logbook. But it was so unique in how to try to figure out to accomplish certain tricks. I can understand why people love this game. I can understand how you can play it with a normal deck of cards, and people do that. Yeah. So if you haven't had a chance to do that, be sure to go check out the crew. Because for some odd reason, Marty won't let me come and play this game. (laughs) Now I had to go out and figure out another way. But it is a game that I've decided that I will definitely add to my collection just because it is just a fun game that if you got someone like a long vacation, it'd be a great game to take with you. Which do you like better, crew or mind? Crew. 
Yeah. I will never play mind again. I will like, just give me crew. I'd rather play it. It may take a little bit longer to teach somebody how to play it, but God, such a good game. All right, Tony. So you had a rant earlier. I got a little bit of one. I don't know why it is, but every time there's a game that comes out, this seems very interesting to me and I go read about it. It's a campaign game. Tony, I'm tired of campaign games. I know that's the thing right now. So it, it, buy one game and play the same game over and over and it changes over in time and stuff like that. But I, I just don't have the time and energy and, and the same group of people to be able to do something like that. And it's getting very frustrating when, when these super cool looking games come out only to find out, oh, well, this is meant to be played as a campaign. Is there more campaign games than normal right now? Or is it just happens to be the ones I'm interested in just happen to be that? Okay, so uh, let me bring you into reality here. Aren't we stuck at home? Well, yes, but, but these games have been development well before any of this happened. Pandemic Legacy started off this whole thing of creating like a can- and Gloomhaven, right? Here's mm-hmm. these deep campaign style games that you can play. I don't know. I just want to kind of a play a game and resolve itself and it be done and not have to worry about doing campaigns. Well, it's one way to keep people engaged in that certain market that you're going to have a campaign, that they're going to keep that game on the table. And then the next one comes out with a campaign. It's a way to hook people. Come on, man. Think of the marketing behind this. But I understand your point. I understand why people like it. I understand why it's made. I'm just tired of it. I'm not I'm not saying I'm right and I'm not going to die on this hill or anything like that. I, it's just so funny that every time, just today, and I can't think of what it was, I thought, oh, this looks and sounds really cool. It's like, yes, this is a campaign that you could play over 15 to 20 campaign scenarios. It's like, ah, can I just play just once and just enjoy it without having to experience it and play it 15 times to get the full effect? I don't know what it may be. I mean, we seem to go in these waves. So it's campaign wave now. So the other day, Marty, I was out mowing my grass. Oh, and my seedlings are coming in beautiful. I don't know. How's, how was your plugging and seeding going? Had good plugs. Got grass coming up. You got grass coming up. And with all the rain that's going on and the, and the perfect weather conditions, I'm out there and enjoying that. And of course, I'm listening to music and I'm sitting there and I've got um, Amazon, the 80s playing. And I'm like listening along or it was some Amazon station. I forget what it is. Okay. Just mindlessly listen to music. Kind of like what people do when they listen to this show. So one of the things I was sitting there, we had cheap trick going on. I want you to want me. Yeah. All right. It abruptly ended. Boom. It was over. I'm like, okay. So I thought I lost my connection. Then suddenly Pink Floyd time started with the clocks Mm -hmm. scared me to death i was like oh my gosh what's happening i I, I zigzagged on my yard i don't have a good line so i really need a good lawnmower playlist songs that can just help you concentrate on mowing grass or doing whatever out there i need people to recommend what songs would be good to listen to while mowing grass what would be a good playlist i mean Think through that, Marty. What would be a good, I mean, another brick in the wall? No, I don't think so. I mean, once I knew the clocks sounded in time, time was actually a very good song to mow to. Some Steely Dan, Christopher Cross, Ride Like the Wind. I don't know. You tell me, sir, what would be a good man eater hauling oats? I don't think so. What would be a good song for a lawnmower playlist? I know I've got you thinking right now, Marty. I don't understand. Like you said, yeah, this one would be good and that one wouldn't be good. What it, what makes a good lawnmower song? 
What's the criteria? I don't know. Maybe people can help. I, I just, like I said, a mindless song that doesn't scare you and make you zigzag your cut and have an unstraight line on your cut. That's what I need. All I'm hearing is that you were struggling to find the third topic for flying squirrels. I was not. I actually thought of this when I was cutting my lawn. Seriously, I said, we need to talk about this in Banner. Instead, I'll make it a flying squirrel. <laughs> Except most of our audience listens to us while they're mowing the yard. Once again, I'm helping them come up with a playlist. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Board and Dice Games has been absolutely on fire recently with games they have released by designer David Turtsey. You know, last year, Tony, we got to play Tia Tawakin. Did you say it right this time? You took a negative. You took a demerit recently <laughs> over on our YouTube channel for that. I'm going to keep moving on. And just recently, they came out with Tekkenu. And the most recent one is Taiwan Tensuhu. I'm going to go with that. We're just Let's just go with that. Those are your pronunciations. Let's not try to keep doing them because... The more we try, the more foolish we sound. We try. We do our best to pronounce these the best we can. Well, unfortunately, we have to keep pronouncing these probably over and over. But you and I got together. We said, let's play these bad boys back to back. Both from okay. the same designer. Both from the same publisher. And it's funny. When we started this, Tony, you were at my house and, and uh, Vanessa came down and, and uh, was talking to us and stuff. We said, what are you getting ready to play? And we told her. She said, wait a minute. She said, is that the game where like... Uh, you try to get some resources and you use those resources to maybe build things and make things then maybe take some meeples and put them out on the board to get you some other things. And then you turn in things for victory points. <laughs> we said, yes, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. And I was like, you know what? She has hit the nail on the head when I looked at the shelves in your uh, basement. And I'm like, most of them are that way. Yep. So there you go. And I know we're going to focus on these two games, but what I want to talk about is Euros have this same basic concept, right? There's some sort of typical resource management and there's usually some sort of actions that you can do, worker placement or card playing or stuff in order to convert some sort of resources into victory points. So what makes one game stand out over the other? And it's the mechanics and how that is done. And I think with both of these games, Tony, they're very different to me in how you get those resources or use those resources in order to try to generate those victory points, which is the whole goal of the game. Which brings me back all the way to the start of this marathon of a show, comfortably numb. Because when we were going through this and you were teaching me, I began to get comfortably numb <laughs> thinking, oh my gosh, let's get to the game because the more explanation you go, the father, I can't remember what we talked about five minutes ago. Yeah, that's true. I'm just so impressed now with uh, the design of David Turcy right now. I mean, he, he is on fire. He's become one of those that whenever he comes out with a game, I'm very interested to try it out. Because he takes this general Euro concept and just presents multiple ways in order to do this sort of thing. So let's talk about the game that we played first, Tony, which is Taiwan Tensuhu. It's a game based on Incans. And so you know how you get the Incan Pyramid. And that's kind of what the game board is. You got this five-sided pyramid. And at the top of these pyramids, each of you are going to have a priest. And I guess, Tony, I guess you would say at the core of this, it's worker placement. But it's not necessarily workers of your color, which is, I think, is unique. It's over the game, you're going to get workers from a village, different color workers, and then use those workers to put on the board. And wherever you put that worker you can take some sort of action. Depending on the color, right? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to keep the two games separate in my mind here. <laughs> yeah. Because, like I said, comfortably numb. And I will, of the of the two games, this was probably the 
simpler. Yep. I agree. Not that it's a bad term. Nope. It's just it's just a simpler game to learn. How about more familiar? I mean, if somebody's played a lot of Euro games, the mechanics of this game to me seem more familiar. If I got a meeple, I put it on the board, there's an action there, I take the action. More so than taking it. Yes. Okay. Take an action. How am I going to get more workers into my field? How am I going to be able to play this? I'm limited by the number of workers I can have. Colors mean everything in this. Matching symbols mean everything. And so there was this complex project of being able to, I've got to place a worker out on this board. In order to place this worker, I've got to match a symbol. Once I match the symbol, okay, that's step one. Step two, I now have actions with the worker unless a certain condition is met. Then I get additional actions. I can put, I can gain certain things. I met, oh, wait, my priest who's on the top of the temple is not shining down on my little worker. He's behind me. It's going to cost him a lot of money or it's going to cost resources to put him on that side of the temple because I can't supervise him. Kind of a layered on theme there. Oh, wait, I want to move down the temple. That's going to cost me something. And I want to move down the temple even farther. That's going to cost me temple. Oh, did I use the steps you built? I get points. A lot of stuff going on there. And uh, yeah, Marty, uh, you can. You can sit here and explain the rules and try to get people straight on what I just said. But for me, when we were going over it, that's how it began to get jumbled up. Yep. Yep. Let me know where the workers, what the workers do. And how am I going to generate the victory point? Yeah. The thing is, though, it's such an important thing of getting the worker on the board and what that requires. Because like you mm-hmm. said, so you got these deck of cards called these God cards, had these symbols. And to put a worker out, like you said, the symbol must match that worker or you just pay a gold. That's always an option, too. Which isn't easy to get. Nope, it's not. It's not. And where you place a worker, there's different actions around it. You could take any one of those actions. But then this becomes a combo game. I told you how I liked Lost Ruins of Arnak because I could generate these combos. Well, if it just so happens, if I could put a blue worker on this blue space, I can take one additional action of those that are available to me. But wait, there's more. But it just so happens if there is another blue worker that's adjacent to me, I could take yet another action. It's like you never want to place a worker and take one action. You're trying to generate it where with a certain color, placed in a certain location, take multiple actions because otherwise it seems like a waste. The actions you can take, Tony, it's generic stuff, right? It's getting more resources. It's building steps like you talked about. It's building buildings. These buildings can be used to give you more resources. It's a typical year where it expands on itself. But that's not the only thing, Tony. Like you said, there's a cost when you place a worker because your priest is on one side of the temple If you place a worker on the same side the priest is, hey, you get a a free placement. But if you go to the left or right of him, you're now considered roaming and must pay one food to do so. If you go two spaces to the left or right of him, it costs you three food. And then as you said, there's multiple levels to the temple, one, two, and three. As you go down from the top to the bottom, the second layer costs you two food. The bottom layer costs you five food. Unless there's stairs connecting the two layers, which give you a discount of two food per layer and then once you understand all that then you could put a worker out so that's why it's not just a simple worker placement game but then the priest has action (laughs) and then there's these secondary actions and i don't want to go over all that marty from that standpoint it's one of those things where 
you really need to experience how this all works together and how your brain is going to be sitting there trying to maximize all this, which can produce a little AP. Mm-hmm. And then there's this whole thing is, oh, let's not forget about the statues, that if you build statues and their symbols match up, you got to remember all this stuff. Yep. It's very, very complex from that nature to have to follow that. If I were to do a flow chart for this game, I would need a plotter. Oh my gosh, you ain't kidding. Because like you said, you could place a worker. If you don't want to place a worker, there's these secondary actions you can do. One of those is talking about you move your priest around the top of the temple. You move him one or two spaces clockwise. You land him on an icon, which allows you to do additional actions, but it allows you to reposition your priest if you want to get to another side of the temple so you can cheaply put workers on that side without paying a roaming fee. And then, well... What if I don't want to do that action? Take a goal. Yeah, you just take a goal. But one thing I do like about that is when people do take the secondary action, and secondary actions do several things. You could draw additional military cards, which is used for conquest. You can draw additional god cards, etc. One of them is moving the priest. When you do so, everybody else gets to take advantage of that action in some shape or form. Usually if you're the one that moves, you get a, a bonus to that action, but everybody else gets to follow suit. I typically like games like that. And at the end of every turn, you always, always have the option of going to the village and recruiting a new worker, and you can have up to two workers. Once all the workers are gone from the village, it triggers a festival. And then after a festival happens, you you resolve a lot of stuff on the board. Like one of the things you get to do over the course of the game is build this nice long tapestry. One of the actions you can get is get tapestry cards. And if you get icons on the ends of the tapestry cards to match, they can generate stuff for you. And during the festival, you get that. You have this temple track. Another action you can do is move your tokens up the temple track, which will give you resources and victory points at the end of the game. But also each festival, each festival time, you get those victory points and resources. Then there's this whole conquest region where you have these military cards where you can, if you've got military people out in front of you, then you can discard them or flip them down based on their strength in order to put out conquest tokens. And then if you control a conquest region, you get victory points. I mean, it's just victory point after victory point after victory point. And then after the festival phase, you fill up the village again. And then after three festivals, the the game ends. And yes, did I just say a big mouthful of a lot of different things that people ain't going to catch, but that's what this game is. And Tony, again, it blows me away that a guy can come up with something like this and it all kind of works. But is it too much? That is a great question that I have a feeling that you and I may have different answers, but go ahead. Well, for me, it is. Okay. Plain and simple. There's just too much for me. Okay. For me as an individual, there is too much. And yes, I'm a simple person. I have an, I have a degree in electrical engineering. I can tell you how the bulk electric system works in the United States of America. I can tell you all types of, you know, Uh, complicated things. But for some odd reason, when you start layering on all these concepts, my brain becomes numb and it starts saying, oh my gosh, I've got to remember all this, which brings to me the point that where if someone like terraforming Mars, if you've played that game so much, you have a decided advantage over others. Yep. And that can be a negative on the game itself. It's a great experience. I enjoyed playing, but once again, I'm looking at it from the standpoint, 
Is there just too much here for me trying to do that I can't get good at one thing or that if I do, I can see strategies that anybody that comes and tries to play me, I'm going to wipe the floor with them. I mean, I would say this is heavy Euro, wouldn't you? You classify this as heavy? I don't even know what heavy is. Yeah, I don't know. That's so subjective too. It's heavy in the sense there's a lot of stuff going on in the game. These combos I talk about, I mean, it's kind of crazy when you could take these multiple actions and you place a worker, depending on the, the other workers that are around, if you get multiple actions, then if you resolve this action first, that might give you the resources you need. That So when you resolve this action, you can be able to do this. You can see it just kind of kind of builds on itself. There's a lot of layers to it. Quick jump from that. Right after that, we played Tekanu, which also at the core is the same sort of thing. You have these different resources that you're trying to get to do things, build things, put them out on the board for the whole goal of getting victory points by the end of the game. The thing is, though, the way that's done is totally unique. We typically like Euro games with dice in it. And that's this is what this has. The dice are used to go around this obelisk. It's, it's really nice looking. Uh, board dice makes some incredible looking board games for very reasonably cost stuff. They have a, a, a obelisk that rotates. There's multiple sides to the obelisk. There's a light side, a dark side, and shade. Oh, we, are we throwing shade on We're this guy? So there's these different colored dice. You're going to roll the dice, and you're going to put them in their areas. A dice will either be on the light side, dark side, or unusable. And on your turn, you can pick up one of those dice, and depending on the color, you can, based on the number of pips, get resources. Really straightforward, right? With white, you get limestone. Is that the white one? Um, yes. You know, with papyrus with the yellow one, et cetera. Or wherever you pick up the die from, you could take an action from that space. And each space represents a god and there's a god action. So I like that. It's like, okay, I'm going to pick up this dice. Either I'm going to take an action with it or just produce resources. Now, of course, the crazy stuff, Tony, is all those actions that are available to you over the course of the game. And each of the actions are named after gods and there's there's six God actions that you must keep up with. That's probably a lot too, because right? Because taking a God action on this one area could affect this other area the next time you take a God action. It's like, there's this whole temple area, right? One of the God actions you can get is to put one of your pillars in the temple area. And then there's another God section that allows you to build buildings on the outside of that temple area. And if you happen to have a pillar in the same row or column as that, you get some extra victory points. So, and I think when we first did this one, I was like, okay, I understand that the dice concept is simple. Yes. Absolutely simple. Love it. But if I'm looking in one area and I am creating a statue that then goes somewhere else on the board. Yeah. I got to remember, that's where I build my statue and this is what it takes to build a statue. Well, if building a statue requires marble and granite and things like that. Okay. I understand that. The iconography on the board is brilliant, but it's over here. I need to make sure I understand what I'm doing with that statue and what it's doing in this area. Okay, where's the area where I'm building a building that lets me increase my production? Oh, it's down here. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cost the same here as it did in this other section. So, okay, I got to keep that in line. And then there's the whole thing of you got this these tracks of population and happiness. And it's like, oh, here it comes. Increase your population. Your happiness can never go above your population. At the bottom of the board is this whole row of cards. Of Some are passive abilities. Some are one-time use. Some are in-game score conditions. And if you take the God action to go get one of those cards, 
You can only go up to what your level of happiness is. There's a color where your happiness is. You can only get cards from that color or less. But then if you're if it's not that high, then Tony, then you're looking around the board. Wait a minute. Where is it that I increased my happiness? Oh, well, I've got to go gra- grab to die from this other side of the obelisk with this God that will allow me to increase my happiness so the next time I can draft a die from down here to get that card that I want. But only the card that I draft will tell me what type of card I can get down in that level. Mm-hmm. And if it's a five or a six, well, that's you can get three cards. You, but you mean going the to die calls. that you take from there. Sometimes the numbers of the die that you take tell you what you can do with that action. They'll tell you what you can do with the action, what the cost of that action is. Yep. I want to go get these cards down here but I can't because not the right number is there because I don't have the right resource in order to buy in order to go get those cards. So then you're looking around the board. Well, wait a minute. Where do I get that resource? Oh, well, I guess I need to draft this die, which gives me that type of resource when you produce. But wait, if I draft that die, then I've got to go do this other thing of putting it on my board and talking about the the light and the dark and keeping that balanced. Because if I go too dark, I'm going to get negative victory points. If I go too light, then I'm last on the player (laughs) turn track. Oh my God, I got to keep this straight in my head. And this happiness thing, happiness is important for doing a building. So I need to drive that up and keep my population up. Why don't I just run that to the top as quickly as I can so that I have the accessibility to the cards and only certain scoring cards are available at the top of the freaking happiness track. I'm not happy. (laughs) Yeah, we kind of skipped over the very important part is whenever you draft a die, if it comes from the light area, you put it on the left side of this drawing of a scale on your board. If you draw from the dark area, it goes on the tainted side or the right side of the scale And after four dice are placed, you add up the pips on the left and right hand side. And if the tainted side is heavier than the light, you may end up with negative points. Your goal is to try to get it balanced. You want them as equal as possible because that determines player order the next turn. Now, Tony, I thought this was cool. Everybody drafts a die. Everybody drafts a second die. Then the obelisk turns. Now, see, I think this is kind of neat because uh, when it turns, all of a sudden the dice may adjust. Because the light and dark side of the obelisk will dictate what colors go where, whether they turn light or dark. So then you're trying to do some planning. It's like, oh, shoot, I really want that die here because once that obelisk turns, that die will no longer be available to me. So I need to take it now. I kind of like that planning portion. of it. I thought that was kind of cool. I completely, completely agree with you that, yes, the planning portion of that is key because there were some times when we were playing this suddenly dice that were available were no longer there and only the dice will be replenished when it's in the shade yes when you rotate it you take three dice for each shaded area and roll them and put them out there yep so you've got to keep that in mind and you know where they are and this is something over time you'll play you'll know oh is this obelisk turns these dice are going to do that so i need to go ahead and plan ahead to take that into account as i'm getting my turns to know that i need to buy a papyrus so that when it turns here (laughs) i can then go put it over here and get these actions because if a five and a six show up i need at least three papyrus so i can draft these cards oh wait the freaking happiness meter is not all the way up on my workers once again i'm not happy (laughs) but i loved the game (laughs) oh my gosh how does he come up with this it's you're sitting there talking through it and says this sounds like a jumbled mess but somehow it just all works 
And once you experience it, you see how brilliant it is. But Tony, do you feel that this one is also a little too much? Like Taiwan Tensuu was? So what drove me insane about this one was that's the scoring cards and where they are. I cannot get because those scoring cards are going to, cause I lost this one badly Yeah, because I could not get the scoring cards. that you talk at the end and, of game scoring condition. In the game I think they're scoring. called decree cards. Yeah. I cannot gather any additional decree cards because I was not happy. And that wrecked the game. I just did not have a good plan for that. I'll admit later. I'm sure if this gets on the table more and more, we will know that. Kind of like, it reminds me of the, um, oh, the excommunication in Lorenzo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. If, if you're not far enough along there, you're going to get hurt. And then the more and more we got to play the game, the more we realized how important that was and how to keep track of it. Mm-hmm. You can't just sacrifice that. And if you do, there's going to be ramifications and you need to know how, how that is. For this game, if you sacrifice the happiness, which for me I was doing and didn't realize that the scoring decree cards were so far up on the track, I suffered from that. Yeah. So that's something you got to really understand about this game. Well, like you said on the, uh, on the other game, the more you play, the better you're going to get. Bert and I have already played this a few times, right? This is your first time playing. So we kind of knew what's going to give us points and we plan for it. Like you said, the more you play, the better you get. So you play with two guys that already been played and kind of knew what to expect. Which brings me back to my original point. How does that affect later games? You know, and when I was talking about the first T game, yeah. I said, you know, someone that you bring in new will get slaughtered. Yeah. And and it was evident here, I got slaughtered. It was just, okay, so does that mean that negative feeling is going to impact whether or not I play it again. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, d- did I suck that bad? You did. When I played this? No, yeah, you- I did. I lost by 30 points. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the complexity to it. It was a complexity that I liked figuring out. I enjoyed that puzzle. I will say again, even though this was a longer game, I, for me, it didn't outstay its welcome. This game really, you only draft 16 dice and that's the game. So mm-hmm. you draft two, you rotate, draft two, do a balancing between the scales, rotate. After you draft a total of basically eight dice, you have a scoring phase. Then you're going to do that whole thing again, final scoring phase, and, and that's kind of where that's the where the game will end. And one thing that also drove me insane about this was a mechanic that I've never been a fan of, and that's feeding, feeding your people. Oh, and both of these games had that, didn't it? And so much for the second T game that Tekken? it was, yes, that one, it was, it was a nasty negative of three points if you could not feed your people. Was that, that was well on, on Taiwan Tensu. Wow. I almost did it. Taiwan Tensuhu also, because you had to pay uh, bread for every God card you had. Otherwise you lost mm-hmm. victory points. They both had the exact same thing in that aspect. Absolutely. So I, here I am and I got beat up pretty good on that, but that was my own mistake for not planning very well for not picking up a brown die in time. But I'm sitting there thinking, okay, thematically, if I don't feed my people, shouldn't they be unhappy? Why, why hurt me victory points, hurt me in the happiness trail? But I know this is a designer decision and, and I'm sure this was the appropriate decision to make. So I'm just, but it, 
it was like, oh, I got to feed these people. So that's something else I've got to plan in here because I've built all these stupid buildings. And for some odd reason, that means I need more food. Oh, because I've invited more people to live here to help me build my stupid thing. Well, you'd think I had a bigger relationship in a bigger village would make more people happy, more social interaction. <laughs> and again, the same thing was back on Taiwan Suhu also is the fact that uh, after the festival, you may have to pay some some bread and stuff like that. I, I will say this is kind of funny. Bert bought this up. Uh, the fact that the priests are at the top of this hill, you start with the top level, and as you go down, you need to build steps. How did they get there? Now, that was me. That was you that said that? Yeah. How did they get to the top of the pyramid? Why Why wouldn't they stop at, start at the lower elevation and build steps as they go up as opposed to, and what was your reason? You said it was aliens? Aliens. <laughs> so aliens dropped them off at the top of this mountain. <laughs> and basically they had to work their way down and build steps to get down the mountain. I thought it was kind of funny. All right, uh. so two totally different style of games of how... You take actions of how you get resources, generate those victory points. One has this really complex worker placement feel of, but you can have these really cool combos of, mm-hmm. of and you know what it reminded me of? Honey buzz. You remember where you can sort honey buzz to where if I could place that tile just like this, I'm going to trigger all these actions. Same way with Tomlin Tensuhu is... You place the worker, it's like, boom, I triggered just three actions, and these are absolutely brilliant. You get the satisfaction of that. With Tekkenu, I just love these dice that are kind of shifting and changing and mod- and modulating the entire time as you, as you play the game. For me, personally, if you were just put both in front of the, me right now, I'm probably always going to lead toward Tekkenu. I just love dice in Euro games, so that's probably my choice for me between the two. So after someone listens to this, they're going to say, well, McCree was his typical grumpy self and didn't like either game. And that's not true. They're very complex, very challenging games. And they're ones that you've really got to get your head around and know what you're getting into. For me, I would also do Tekkenuf as the one because I enjoy Coimbra. So this takes me to my roots, what I enjoy. I think I can grasp it quicker, learn it better and get better at it. And I can also think that if I bring new players into it, I can help them understand if you're not doing this, then there's going to be some challenges at the end. Expect to not score well. Where the other game, it's kind of hard for me to really get past all the multiple options that you have with the worker placement. That's one of those that, okay, we've played it. Let's play it another day and see how well we do. So that's Tekkenu from designers Danielle Tassini and David Tertzi, and then Tawinton Suhu, which is from David Tertzi. Again, he's a superstar right now, in my opinion. He's a superstar designer. It's just everything he touches is gold. Board and dice just keeps putting these games out. I think they're they're really good. If you're looking for a mid to heavyweight Euros, check out any of these series. Uh, for Tony and I, we're probably going to lead us towards Tekkenu, but I kind of suspected that because, again, between Coimbra and Lorenzo El Magnifico, we just love clever use of dice in the game. So we just spent a lot of time talking about uh, some games. Marty, so the designers, all last names have T's in them. Yes. Their games that they've brought out all start with T's. Yes. Is this going to be kind of like a, a Freeman Freeze in his um, F's? F games in green, right? 
F games in green. Ah, I tell you what. So there's there's something that just happened here in the Rolling Dice and Taking Name studio of the McCree household. And this is a tease for an upcoming show. Marty and his wife got to do a special interview. I'm just going to leave it at that. He can talk about it uh, if he wants to, but it's uh, we've got another one planned for our interview series, correct? Correct. So my wife just brought in to me, she is practicing with various icings. Oh, I just dropped it on the thing. <laughs> just I thought I was stuck. <laughs> it's a good thing that it's a computer board and I will lick it and not get electrocuted. Oh, but she is, pra- she is practicing with three very types of icing. So I get to do some cake testing here in a little bit. Okay. When we finish up. If I disconnect, Marty, it's because I'm licking the keyboard. <laughs> and what flavor icings are these? These are all a chocolate um, meringue type icing. She's trying out on a meringue. Gotcha. Yep. Type yep. icing, which is breaks a lot of eggs that you don't use the uh, yolk. Yeah. Yeah. Just oh, use my the, go- oh, my gosh. Just I use love, egg whites. Oh, I love. Oh, that's a milk chocolate. Yeah. And oh. So let, let me tease who Vanessa and I got to talk to. Tony, I don't believe you don't have Netflix, so you don't watch a show that's very big right now. It's a reality show called... Great British Bake Off, which is a reality show, basically with a, a bunch of amateur bakers who go in and compete against each other. Typical reality format, but it's a hit because it is. They're so nice to each other. The the hosts are charming and everything. It's from Britain, so you know they're just very nice. Sean Connery, right? You know the UK mm-hmm. people are just very polite and everything. Careful, he was not saying Sean Connery was British. Please, that's five dollars. I, know, I said UK. Saying. I changed it to UK. Okay, okay. okay. UK, UK, okay, UK, uh, okay, yeah, not British, but anyway, so it's it's been a big hit, and one of the first seasons that we watched featured a baker called Kim Joy, uh, who was just so super nice, and people just really liked her. She was a finalist in that season. She also happens to play board games, and so Vanessa and I really enjoyed watching her and stuff. And so when we started doing this at the table series, again, we want to bring in different people that you may never hear other shows talk to, look about different aspects of the industry. And since here's this person who was into this reality show, but also loves board games, we decided to have her own because she just released a Christmas cookbook. And she talked about that. But also, she's working with Skybound Games for a new card game that's going to be coming out in 2021. So she teased it also. So this is going to be coming out sometime in November. We're going to be talking to Kim Joy, talking about her experiences on the show, her cookbook, and the game that she's making. I cannot wait to listen to it because I was not part of it, you dog. (laughs) That's okay. But but again, you had no idea what the show was, nor the person. So Okay, so let me ask you this. Our wives have been on multiple times, right? Yes. I mean, uh, people were commenting recently on the fact that Donna... In the puzzles, she threw a lot of shade my way, and I had to explain to her what it was. And she goes, what is that? I'm just talking about, it just means that you are not being nice. Don't worry about it. (laughs) That's a polite way to put it. And she goes, well, I don't want to sound that way. I said, people love it. Be as mean as you want to me. It does not matter. They know know we love each other. It's been, you know, 28 plus years that we've been married. We've been married longer. Well, we got married before y'all. No, no. You and I have been married longer. Well, yes, we have. Okay. We have. I, I don't know. <laughs> My other wife, yes. Um, so from that from that standpoint, she's like, oh, I don't want to feel that way. But I was starting thinking about it. I said, well, Vanessa loves to bake, and you like to bake. You made biscuits for us at game day. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what if Vanessa and Donna were to do a baking podcast? I bet they'd have more subscribers than we have had in eight years. Oh, easily. Baking's a way more interesting topic. 
probably mm-hmm. more. Well, it's way more common. Mm-hmm. If the, if there was a reality show where it was about amateur board game designers, nobody would watch that. But you, you know, mm-hmm. you, you throw some amateur bakers into a TV show, people are going to watch because everybody can relate to that. I think there's a whole network channel based on this. The Food Network. I'm just saying. <laughs> so anyway, we do have that coming up. And uh, we'll be coming out sometime in November. So that'll be, again, one of our off weeks at some point in time. Oh, and then something else I noticed the other day, Marty, on our Instagram account. Yes. Okay, you've been posting stuff. I occasionally, I posted some pictures from the beach mm-hmm. of gladiators in a sand arena. That and was stuff funny. Like that, that. that got a lot of love. I appreciate that. Well, it's so about darn time. So my brother-in-law, has an Instagram account. Okay. Every day or every other day, he will post a picture of the watch he's wearing. Okay. Okay. Does he have that many different watches? Yes. Okay. He rotates. He 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 has a lot of he has a lot of watches, but he'll post them and he tells a little bit about them. So I was saying when he first started this, you know, I would like it all the time. You know, he now can get up to close to two hundred likes. I'm like, that's way more than we get. Wow. I'm like, but it shows you something. It is a consistent thing towards what Instagram is. The consistency. People enjoy that kind of stuff. Oh, what's he got next? You know? Mm-hmm. Just go show. Consistency pays off. But I was like, dude, that's amazing. All your watches. Your hairy arm and a watch. How many followers does he have? I don't know. I didn't want to look and be depressed. Oh, wow. Don't look at me like I'm going to come up with the, the catchphrase to get out of here. <laughs> This is a long episode. <laughs> so we've got a, another long show. You see what happens when you lock us down. Things happen. We, we, we get long. We get talky because we're too busy playing games and we don't have an opportunity to talk here. Thankfully for y'all, we've got a few more shows left in the year. And then Marty and I always take our break in December where we don't produce a show over the Christmas holidays. But who knows? We may come in and do that anyway. So that's, that's exciting news for y'all. I know you're looking forward to that. Uh, along with those lines i just hope that you have a you had a safe event in november <laughs> what's that mean a safe event i'm just i'm not i'm not being why, 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 why are you even why are you going there because it is consuming my life right well, now Well, stop it don't let it consume your life it's my job i have to <laughs> It's your job. You you deal with power and hurricanes and stuff. You talking about a hurricane? Sort of. <laughs> we just went through the voting. You would be amazed at what we're having to do to prepare for what they are predicting for civil unrest. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So much for people tuning in to us just to get away from everything. I'm trying to. I'm trying to just. You're say, the one just, bringing it up. I'm just trying to be a PSA. Trying to be. I hope you're <sighs> safe. Have. I'll be safe, people. Just just go roll some dice. Oh my gosh, and take some names. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, if you want to join our secret squirrel, go join our Discord channel. You can follow us on Instagram, Dice at Names, or maybe you can follow uh, Tony's brother-in-law and look at watches. <laughs> join our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter at Dice at Names. We'll see you next episode. Just recently, one of the ex-presidents of Quality Assurance, no, one of the ex-founders of Blizzard is now starting a tabletop game. Wow. Reset. Start over. 
come to find out this guy loves tabletop games and has been a big miniature gamer. Shoot, I didn't even start a timer. Tony and I have big, big, big. Tony and I have been. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> MiniatureMarket.com, that's right. You know you want a board game, especially the ones we mentioned today, because you need the opportunity to play those heavy Euros, and they'll have them for you. Too bad they don't have Advil. Careful, careful on that. They may have Advil on Miniature Market after we talk about this. I don't know. Or Tylenol or one of those other types of medicines to help you get through this. Go check it out for the daily deals. And you know the big Black Friday sales are coming up. Oh, they're going to be here. You're going to have to download that spreadsheet that they always produce that's going to have 30,000 million columns in it or rows. There's going to be all these rows of games on sale. I don't know how many they're going to have, but you know there's some going to be some great games on there. Ones that are going to go quick. So be sure to set your alarm. Get ready for that and we're going to do our best to make sure that they let us know in advance for our listeners can't guarantee promise any of that stuff but we're going to do our best to try to give you a heads up so stay tuned to rolling dice and taking names to find out when that is but go out to miniaturemarket.com and sign up for their newsletter because i got a feeling that'll tell you before we do 